Thanks be to God indeed. Thank you, Stefan, for that reading. Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Josh Abraham. I am the worship and family minister here at Front Street UMC. Uh, normally, I am uh, leading music in the Aldersgate service, uh, but I have the pleasure of delivering the word this morning. Before I go too far, let me ask prayer from God. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart echo your grace and your love only. If there is anything of me that needs to be stripped away, let it be so, so that we may see your glory fully. Amen. How many of y'all love those as-seen-on-TV commercials? Those amazing devices, those things that can solve every problem you didn't even realize that you had. Whether it be opening a jar, trying to get something high out of reach, I absolutely adore those commercials. It's one of my favorite things in the universe to walk down the aisles of Target or Walmart and see these borderline useless things <laughs> just on every side. They're so cool. They help me realize, you know what? I really don't know how to open a jar. Have I been doing it the normal way for all this time before I had this weird suction cup lid thingy that can, you know, vaporize it and never drop the lid ever? Man, what's wrong? And the commercials are even better. There's some guy who's in a frenzy telling you all about this amazing product and how it will revolutionize everything. And then, just when you think it can't get any better, they hit you with that last thing. But wait, there's more. You call right now and you get it for the low, low price of $19.99. Oh, man. I, I love those commercials. I confess I've never bought anything on, from the television. I usually go get them in the store because usually they break. But I absolutely love the commercials, the frenziness of the person who's selling them, the passion that they have. And it's always trying to find a problem, usually in presenting a solution to that problem that I didn't even think existed. I love those. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, cool, well, yeah, that's seen on TV stuff, yeah. What does that have to do with the church? What does that have to do with the message series that we've been going over these past two weeks? Well, let me share that with you. These past two weeks, as we have been exploring our identity as United Methodists, we've been focused solely on the present, the present realities of who we are, who God has shaped us to be right now, and what we are doing in the kingdom right now. But this week, we're going to change that focus. Not looking at who we were, not looking at who we are, but who we are called to be looking at who God has chosen the people called Methodists to be and what identity we want to carry into the world as we go in the future. As we look at the passage, I think the American church can learn a lot from the church in Corinth. They were a hotbed of division and strife. There were cultural differences, between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
There were regional differences between those from Canaan and those from Greece. And there were teacher differences, those who loved the teachings of Apollos and those who loved the teachings of Paul. I think all of us can resonate with a church divided by so many factors. Factors that are important, factors that make us who we are, but at the same time make us feel like, can we agree on anything? Can we be together on anything? When all we see are just the things that divide us. And in this passage you might think, well, isn't this that wedding text? How many of you have heard 1 Corinthians 13 preached at a wedding before? Yeah, it's all over the place. But this passage has much more to do than just with romantic love. The love that Paul is preaching here is a revolutionary kind. One that changes the fabric of everything that we are. One that is beyond anything we could ever, ever hope for. The key to ending strife, the key to seeing each other, can be found in this passage, I think. When we take a look at the more excellent way. If you think of chapter 12 and chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, that line that Stefan read, I will show you a more excellent way. That is the middle part. Think of it like an Oreo cookie. The cream in the middle that holds those two chapters together. That gives a tie-in and lets us know these two things are supposed to be together. One thing we need to pay attention to is the way that Paul treats those gifts. He lists them all in, verse, in uh, chapter 12. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of speaking in tongues, teaching. All of these amazing gifts, all of these blessings bestowed onto us by our Creator, endowed by our Heavenly Father, are ones specifically chosen for each and every one of you. From God who knows us, who formed us, who cares for us. Those are the gifts that Paul recognizes and says, hold on to those. Those are amazing. Those are special. Those are what you can use and what you can do to help the kingdom of God be realized right here on earth. But he doesn't ever say that we should give those up when he talks about his more excellent way. He acknowledges them, and he says, use those, and I'm going to show you something even better. He doesn't say, I'm going to show you the right way to do things because you've been doing it wrong. He says, I'm going to show you an even better way. It's the Sunday that you get with the ice cream, and then someone just comes over and drizzles hot fudge all over that thing and then drops a cherry right on top. When we look at that chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is generous. 
It is not envious. It does not boast. It keeps no records of wrongs. It hopes all things, believes all things. It's the supreme thing. We look at these two together and we realize that when we add the love of God and the love that we have for our neighbors to the things we have, they get supercharged. They take a different thing altogether. Selfishness is a lot harder when you are using what you have for the kingdom of God, not for yourself. Division seems smaller when you are using the love of God to help your brother and sister in need. Because you are united by the one thing, the all-encompassing love of Jesus Christ. Just like that quilt that I showed earlier, every piece lovingly put in its place, chosen for a specific purchase, purpose. What I did not show you, because it's too small to see, is on the back of that quilt, each one of the students that picked a square wrote on the back where their square was a message of hope and of peace. My dad was diagnosed with cancer when he got that. And it was terminal. There wasn't a whole lot of hope. But because he had that, he could always feel like there was some. That's the love of God. It wraps us around. It envelops us. It takes those uniquenesses and says, you've got this. This is for you. This is the love that you will get to see and experience. It becomes kind of that secret sauce, right? That thing that holds everything together. It takes those gifts from good to holy moly. This is something else. One person who saw this potential was John Wesley. He saw the amazing things that were happening in the church. He saw the relationships that were being built. Our faith in the Methodist church is not one that is built on a, a going out, if you will. It's built on a drawing in. When we draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. And when we draw closer to each other, we shine. And we pull people in. We share that love with people, and people want to be a part of it. How many of you have seen something amazing happening and said, I want to be a part of that? That is our mission. That is our goal. That is our love that we get to share. And while Wesley had reservations about a new church starting, he remained a faithful member of the Church of England, he had bigger fears than a new church happening. One of my favorite quotes that he ever said. I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power having the form of religion, but without the power. That is something that I hope this Methodist church and all other churches 
fight against. I hope that when we look at ourselves, we have the form of religion with that amazing love and power that God can provide. Because without it, we are a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, a church of selfishness, a church that seeks to lift itself up and not one that seeks to lift their brothers and sisters up. Are we content to sit in that limited power? Do we want more? Do you want more? Are we so set in our ways and satisfied with being okay with being divided that we would say, things are pretty good. Why rock the boat? Do you want to be a part of that more excellent way? I'm sure you do. I do. When I was thinking about a way to illustrate this, I kept coming back to Jesus' first miracle in Canaan, in John chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding, and his mother comes up to him and says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. It's a massive party foul. To run out of wine at a wedding, the celebration is over. But Jesus says, don't worry, I got this. And he fills these massive jugs that were used for ceremonial washing with water. He blesses them, and they become wine. But not just any old wine. Not just good enough wine to get through. It's the best of the very best of the very best. So much so that the people who are drinking it are like, hey, wait a second. Normally, you bring the cheap stuff out after you've served the good stuff. But you're bringing out the good stuff now? After we've had already good stuff? That is the love we share. That is the abundant, ever-flowing love that takes it from here to here without ever thinking of it. It never runs dry. It never goes bad. It's always there. And as I was thinking about the ways that sometimes we act, I imagine sitting at a party. I've got my cup of wine. And it's good. And then I imagine Stefan coming up to me and saying, Josh, you have got to try this new stuff. It is mind-blowing. And then saying, nope, that's okay. I've got this. This is good. This, is, this works. I've had this. And I want to, you know, I know what I like because if I try something, I might not like it. But Stefan says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's even better. I had that. It was okay. It was good. But compared to what you can have, it pales in comparison. It's so much better. You've got to try this. That's okay. I'm good. Don't recoil your glass, church. That old wine that we have been given, it served its purpose. Now it's time for us to receive the fullness and the graciousness 
and the ever-abundantness that is the new wine that Jesus is pouring out. That new wine, that new everything, the thing that is more amazing than we can ever imagine. When we add that to what we already are, our praise, our worship, becomes a heavenly party. The things that we have become heavenly blessings that we pour out to the world. The things that we care about become the things that God cares about. Don't hold your glass back. Don't be afraid of what's new to come. Wait, there's more to be had. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.